The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972 Seven four two zero. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning, Scott. Morning, Mitch. Good morning, Scott. Not a lot going on in the news today or this week that really affects the financial markets. Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Is it as steady as she goes, Don? Well, I guess the only thing is this debt ceiling is 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 getting you know is being resolved. But uh, you know what? Um, pretty slow news week, to be honest, and. Uh, it's, uh, you know, nothing wrong with that. To be, you know, it's, it's nice not, not to have any crisis for a change. Nice so, weather, nice weather and smooth sailing. That's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of working his way into the summer with this great weather we've been having. So, um, yeah, no, it's uh, and I know, Mitch, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about things and it's interesting. I would suggest so much advice is given to or received from many people from perhaps hearsay. Uh, for example, you should start your Canada pension plan at 60. Why? I don't know. My buddy told me. Well, is it really fact <laughs> or is it is it is it a myth or is what's best for you? I know, Mitch, you're going to address uh, some financial planning myths. Yeah. Uh, one big myth, which just basically finished was actually because because it was May and I was selling May and go away. And I know that was a myth that I debunked earlier before but there's a lot more myths in financial planning and i actually i've had a bunch of people bring them up uh, every industry has lots of myths and theories and they at some point they may have made sense and at some point they didn't and they just rhymed and they actually just sounded cool so people started to believe that they're accurate and true and the more they heard and and said them the more they actually believed in it more whether it actually made sense at all um the financial planning industry is it's no strangers to lots of these sayings rules or ideas and many of them don't apply anymore or like i said they never did and with an ever-changing economy and just the way life evolves things they just don't work forever so back in the day um i know don you'd be able to speak on this i i'm not <laughs> too familiar of this one but uh you're able to get gic's 15 percent or better and now a common gic at a high point right now is in many years that i've seen is maybe three or four percent so but what was the GICs and mortgage rates that you're getting way back in, in the day there? Well, they peaked. I was in university, I know, way before your time. Um, but uh, I was in university, and interest rates for a five-year GIC was 17.5%. Oh, wow. And wow. a can of savings bonds were paying 19.5% back in 1980-81 area. Uh, now, the same thing, though, inflation was running over 13%. Yeah, what was the interest rate? Uh, yeah, if your interest rates, if you had to get a mortgage, for example, uh, you you have to pay over 20% for one year mortgage. And it kind of reminds me a bit today where the the longer term mortgages are actually cheaper than the short mortgages. Um, so a five, a five years less expensive than a one year right now. And that's usually the opposite. Usually they it's and that's also happened way back in the early 80s. So, yeah, so uh, times change. And, uh, you know, we have to kind of roll with our, you know, our advice as, as things change. 
Yeah. So you, you used to just be able to put money away and into something super safe, like a bond or a GIC and get a really high rate of return. Although inflation and interest rates, like you mentioned, were much higher, but you could get a much greater return for much less risk. But uh, the first myth I wanted to go through here is uh, 100 minus your age is how much money you should have in stocks. And yeah. this is I, it's a pretty funny one. So this may be one of the most well-known rule of thumb of financial planning. It is one that I've heard many times, but it's such a blanket statement that just it just doesn't do much good. It, it's it is great that it does at least say you have you should have stocks and you should diversify. Uh, not to be too exposed to volatile assets. And the basis of the theory is basically that as you get older, you should be reducing your volatility by moving your equity portion, your stocks in your portfolio into fixed income because you're one year closer to retirement and also just one year towards the end of your plan. Um, when you retired, you shouldn't have that much volatility and saying that stocks are too risky to have. But this this just doesn't really hold true for everyone. So by this thought, someone who is 50 should have 50% in stocks and 50% in fixed income. And when they turn 60, they should have 60% in fixed income and 40% in equity and stocks. It sounds easy enough. And if there was a one, a one sentence easy financial plan, I think a lot of people would be out of a job in our industry. <laughs> yeah, actually you make a great point there, Mitch, because I think that's why it, it, it grabbed traction. And and perhaps when interest rates were higher, they thought, oh, you know, this is easier. Um, and, and why have the volatility of the markets? But of course, when interest rates drop so low, then, okay, well, does this really work at all? So, you know what? Um, can our, with longevity also, people are living way longer. So that whole idea, you have to make sure your money doesn't run out. And, and using that formula is almost a sure recipe to have a, a poor result. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at one, if you look at every year is different, right? And I mean, fixed income typically should be the, the safer part of your portfolio. If you look at last year, fixed income was actually worse than the TSX in most areas. So, mm -hmm. it, so being in 60%, if you're 60 years old and you got 60% in fixed income and you want that reduced volatility, well, you're actually doing worse than someone who was 40 years old uh, with more in Canadian stock market than they had in fixed income. So it's, it's, a, it's very much a generalized blanket statement. It really doesn't take into account anyone's individual goals, their their time horizon, their investing experience, their risk tolerance, or, or other factors that really play into the allocation of someone's investments. So let's, let's look at an example here. Like what if a client has a really, has a great defined benefit pension plan at work? And let's say they're getting $3,000 per month starting at age 65. We'll say they retire 65 and that's when they start and there's no indexing for inflation. So this pension plan, I'm also gonna assume that they live to nine years old. This, this plan is worth roughly 900,000 guaranteed, uh, $3,000 a month, uh, all the way until they turn 90. So if someone retires at 65 and has 500,000 in investments between RSPs and TFSAs, as well as their pension plan, they basically, they have 1.4 million in investments in their portfolio because you're gonna add that pension plan to their investment mix. It's it's basically an annuity. So if you go by that blanket statement myth, the person should be allocating 65% of their 500,000 into fixed income and only 35% into equities, which when you add their pension plan to this, it's actually only 12 and a half percent in equities. 
So it's very, very low, and that's reducing how much they can actually have in their greater earning potential. So it's definitely not going to optimize your growth, your portfolio, and maximize your potential when someone has a pension plan. Um, they can afford to have more equity exposure and volatility because they have the guaranteed income coming in constantly from their pension plan. So this is one example of why that this myth is just it's just not going to work out. Um, another reason is that they just have a lot of they have a lot more money and they're more an affluent investor and they can afford to have more risk because they actually don't have to live off of that much of their income from their investments. So they it, everything's different and the whole point of investing is it's not really to really blow it out of the water and make a huge wealthy fortune. Of course, that's great, but you really just you want to consistently beat inflation to keep your money up with uh, your living expenses. And if you start reducing your risk into fixed income too much, you actually might start losing uh, losing to inflation because you're you're not taking on enough enough risks. Back in the day, you could actually have a 60-40 portfolio and consistently beat inflation because of the bonds and we're paying a lot more than they do now. Uh, now that doesn't seem to be the case. So you have to take on a little bit more risk uh, rather than just uh, going off of your age 100 minus that to figure out your asset allocation. So that would be the one myth there. Uh, another one is affluent people, they don't need financial plans. And this one's also pretty funny sometimes because um, people who have money doesn't mean they're actually good with their money. And it's far from the truth. And even people in financial planning fields somewhat, uh, let's, for example, an accountant, they, they still have financial planners. Uh, tons of them do. And that's because the, there's so many things that they don't know about financial planning that experts, CFPs, uh, they do know. And it's almost one of those situations of uh, you don't know what you don't know. And you need to talk to an expert so that they also can make sure you're getting the most of what you can. Uh, even if that I, planner, sorry, go. I, I would actually argue a wealthy person needs a financial planner even more because when they have, if they make a mistake, the mistake is a lot costlier. It would, you know, a 10, 10% mistake, if you have $100,000 is only 10,000, but if you got a million dollars, it's a $100,000 mistake. So, no, I, yeah, I totally, Mitch, I agree with you 100% on this. Yeah, that's exactly what I was what I was gonna say. Like, it's like a ten percent return on someone who's got a hundred thousand net worth versus a million, it's a huge difference. And financial planners, they're they're in the field day in day out, three hundred and sixty five days a year. It's not a job that stops, um, even on weekends. Things are always changing, and people who aren't in the field, uh, even though that they have money, they're not necessarily reading up and studying and uh, really making it their lifestyle to really look into their finances to make sure they're getting the most out of what they have. Uh, myth number three, uh, I'm, I'm too young to need a financial plan. And this is one I've heard so many times as I'm in the demographic, uh, being a millennial myself. Uh, I will say, I, though, um, I, I am getting older, which is <laughs> <laughs> funny to say. You too, uh, eh, Mitch? Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. It's, it's 30, pretty funny. 30's hitting you this year, is it? Hey, 31 this month. Wow. <laughs> but I, I've been starting here at less. Uh, I feel like I have an interest theory of my, theory of my own. <laughs> there's there's either a common age that they realize that they should have a financial planner or they've messed up enough times that they actually be like, I'm better off with someone else doing that for me. So it's never too early to start. Compound interest is your best friend. Um, making sure that you're getting someone with advice early rather than late makes a massive difference. And I, I know you've 
used this analogy with me so many times, um, getting that little snowball and just rolling it up. And even if it's starting at a hundred bucks a month, uh, that snowball is eventually going to grow into a huge snowball. That's going to be your big, your big nest egg. And just, I've never heard someone say, I regret putting money away young, but I, <laughs> like I've heard so many people say, wow, I wish I didn't go on that trip or I, I wish I started so much younger. No one's ever told me. I, I really wish that my parents didn't tell me to put money away when I was like 18. <laughs> we um, are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Uh, a lot of people want to know what it takes to retire. We talked uh, earlier on in the week, Don, on the show about what your number yes. is. What are the <laughs> factors? What are the factors that go into making this decision? Yes, and thanks again for bringing me on the show. Unfortunately, there's a lot of factors. Hard to put it all in in 10 minutes there, Scott. So we got a little longer today. And yeah, there's a lot of decisions. The first thing that comes every mi- everybody's mind, though, is do I have enough money? And, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a massive factor. We can't just be in love with this idea of retirement without having the funds to afford it. And there is some, I have had some people actually say, okay, I'm, I'm looking to retire next year. And they really had no, you know, just because they're older didn't mean they, they deserve to retire because they didn't have any money really of any significance put away. So it was a rude awakening for that one. On the other hand, you get the exact opposite that have lots of money and just enjoy what they're doing and they don't want to retire. So you got kind of two ends of the spectrum there, but money is a massive factor. So what are the 10 steps to make sure you have enough money to retire? And the first step, and you'll, you'll love this one is if you're a sports uh, analogy here anyway, is put on your game face. Mm. Okay. This isn't, this is an easy stuff. You have to start crunching some numbers. Okay. You have to look at, you know, you, you're, you basically say, okay, I, I'm really got a big job in front of me. So I'm going to go through all the effort to see if I can retire. Now, there's an easier way to do this. Um, you sit down with a certified financial planner and they help you along with this because it is a big task. And also, this is not a decision you want to make a mistake at. The, the result of saying, you know what, I'm just going to retire and I'll just see if it works uh, may end up with you know, big consequences later. Um, first, number, number two is uh, design a dream retirement. What, you know, look at what you really want to do. And it's kind of interesting. There's been a proven correlation between the amount of time a person th- spends thinking about retirement and the success of their transition into retirement. So this is why I say somebody all of a sudden gets laid off at work and they hadn't planned on retiring 
generally doesn't result in a successful retirement versus somebody that's saying, you know what, I've been thinking about this for the last three or four years. I've worked out the numbers. I've, we, we've had lots of discussions and it, the transition is quite good into retirement. Uh, number three is track your current spending. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's one thing to say, okay, uh, I think I can retire. Most people really don't know what they're spending. You know, Mitch, when you go through and go through what we call a personal financial review and go through all their expenses, it's it's eye-opening, don't you find? It's so during our first meetings, you go through cash flow, assets, liabilities, you go through all of discovering what they have and what they spend. And that is that is the longest part of almost the whole first meeting because lots of people don't realize how much they spend. And it, it, lots of people say they're shocked. Uh, it, it, it's it's great when they come in, though, and they looked at their credit card and all their statements before and they come prepared and they're still shocked. Though <laughs> <laughs> It is. And it's, you know, no one enjoys tracking their spending. Like it's not saying, oh, you know what I'm going to do this weekend? I'm going to go through my expenses. It's not a, a great thing to go and do. It's not. It's fun. like you're being grounded. It's like you guys are tell <laughs> you're grounding everybody. What do you mean I have to do this? Come on, yeah, yeah. go <laughs> exactly. to your room. Go to your room and figure out your expenses. No. And and so it's one thing. Also, you can go for a month or two. You need to really track it for a full year. So if you're going to be retiring in the next year or two, track it for a full year. In fact, I generally would recommend using an app. And every single time you put an expense, you throw it in the app. So you have a really good idea where your money's going. Because it, it, it's quite often people say, geez, I'm making 8000 net after tax. But I don't seem to have any money. I mean, mortgage payment's only 2000 Where's the other 6000 going? And there's lots of great apps that are just tracking it automatically. Now, I know American Express. I, I know TD, MySpend. And they break it down really well and some do annual reports for you too whether it's here's your how much you spent on traveling gas medical groceries and they break it down really well uh i think it's a great exercise to do almost at the beginning like in january every year just to kind of go through see what you spent and uh just to keep updating your plan and to see if you're spending some some extra money somewhere where you shouldn't be just to make sure you're on track for your goals you know, that's a good point. Um, they have made it easier with us. And that, that technology is only going to get better. I know um, IG is looking at some of the things that are already available in the U.S. and bringing them up here. And this will only help in building a, a, a very accurate financial plan. And spending is a big part of that. Um, you know what? Forecast your retirement spending. It's one thing to spend money what you're spending is during your working life. But there's things that you're spending money in retirement that you may not be spending while you're working. First of all, you got a lot more free time. Okay. So you got every day is a weekend. And so what are you going to do? And if it's, you've got more time to spend money, more time to travel, more time to do hobbies. And what do they cost? So it may, it's a definite different cash flow analysis, pre-retirement, post-retirement. And other things, even like cell phones and cars, sometimes your employer might be paying for those. And now you got to pay for them yourself. So you got to add those back in. Um, plan conservatively. And what I mean by that is always kind of add a bit more cushion to what you think you're spending. I spend, uh, you know, 500 a month on groceries. And you know what? Let's make it 600. There's, for some reason or other, it always seems to be a bit more than you think. Um, and then again, don't forget the major purchases. You know, whether it's a car, 
a renovation, a big trip, <clears throat> a gift, whatever they are, they aren't in their normal day-to-day cash flow. So you need to have those built into your plan. So along with this, calculate your net worth. Um, that doesn't really do too much other than you know where you, you what you're worth if you all of a sudden cashed all your money in and paid off your debts. So it gives you a good baseline to provide you an income if you sold assets. And then uh, determine a safe withdrawal rate. You need to look at, you know, what how much you're going to take out of your investments every year. Because the biggest, I guess, fear that most of my clients would say is, I do not want to run out of money. And that's a very realistic fear because I just had a client last week. He just celebrated his 100th birthday. Oh, he is my first male that has made it to 100 years old. Wow. And that's that's amazing. And so I'm looking at this and said, well, you got to really work on your retirement plan. Thankfully, <laughs> he has actually has been a client even before my time. I'm obviously being 100 right now. So and, I, and so about 25 years ago, as I was introduced to him, he came he came from a previous uh, IG uh, financial planner out of Quebec. And now he's he's now working with me. And so 25 years. So he has done extremely well and he's fine. But again, he was always on top of his finances all the way through. So it's it's a it's a fascinating story. Um, number seven is estimate your retirement income. What I mean by that is look at your Canada Pension Plan, old age security and other pensions. Bring on those. That's kind of your guaranteed money every month. And you've got to augment that with your, your investments. And again, that safe withdrawal rate, normally we're looking at three to 4% withdrawal rate and, and use inflation to index that every year. And that's usually safe depending on your age. And also you got to look at your allocation. And when you look at that, I say, okay, well, develop your retirement drawdown strategy. How are we going to draw that down on your money? Because at the end of the day, we want to give you a, an income every month. And there's risk in, in markets like last year when the markets went down and you're pulling money out. Well, you're cashing in things when they're down. It actually didn't matter if it was bought, you know, stocks or bonds. So the only safe place was to have a cash reserve or perhaps lower your lifestyle during years like that. But again, this is all part of a drawdown strategy that needs to be developed. And then... Uh, again, what we look at then is taking all these sources. How do we create your retirement paycheck? You used to get a paycheck every two weeks, every month, every week, whatever it was. Well, that's done. Your, your employer is not doing that anymore. So now you're retired. You don't want to sit there and say, okay, where am I going to get next month's money from? We, we actually create this for you and create this retirement paycheck so that on the 15th of every month, you get X amount of dollars and maybe you get another payment at the end of the at the end of the month, whatever kind of makes you comfortable and what makes the most sense. But then what's the best route to go? Because you also have to look at taxes on this. So how much you take out of the RSPs as an example, or RIFs? How much you take out of non-registered investments? Should you downsize and, and, and create a bigger nest egg perhaps to draw from? And I've had two of those conversations in the last week about, okay, um, Right now, I'm okay, but I want to have even more fun. And I find that <clears throat> we've talked about this in the past. The go-go years are, are the first years, and those are the ones from, say, 65 to 75. 75 to 85 might be the slower years, called the slow-go years, and then 85 on might be the no-go years. Again, it depends on everybody. Uh, my father's celebrating his 85th 
actually uh, just two days ago, and he is still in his go-go years, and he's 85. So again, <laughs> everybody's a little different, but he's, he's actually before his go-go years because he's, 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 he's still he's still working. <laughs> good point. He's good point. So so again, every situation is different, and this is why having a a real financial plan is it's what it's all about. And it's interesting, um, Mitch, I know we're talking off air there, but every country has different success rates, if you will, on their their retirement ages and how long they get to retire. And I think I was a little, I was uh, kind of fascinated with this on who had the longest retirement. Yeah, I. it was interesting to read this and it was a long, a long list of countries here. And the one that came and had the longest and got to enjoy their retirement the longest uh, was actually Italy, as their normal retirement age is 62 years old, and their life expectancy is around 86.3. So they're actually enjoying about 24.3 years in retirement. And compared to Canada, Canada, their normal retirement age is actually 65. So they retire three years later, and they only live to about 85.9. So they get about 20.9 years in retirement. But the one that was actually way, way down the list, which was really interesting to me, was U.S. Their normal retirement year is eight, is 66, and their life expectancy is, is only 84.5. So they're only getting 18 and a half years to enjoy that retirement, which they've been working their whole life for. And it was pretty interesting to see that list there. And the, the reason why they said the U.S. was down the list is because of the, the high obesity rate, limited access to health care, and one of the biggest income gaps in the world and mm. compared to Italy, who they live longer. It must be all the great pasta that they're, and pizza that they're eating. I have no <laughs> and idea. Wine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that could it do. That could explain why people in France are protesting because they're trying to move the retirement age from 62 up to 64, yes. and they're going nuts about that. Yes, when you, yes. you think about that here, it seems so uh, out of the ordinary. I, I will say France is third on the list, though, so they're still enjoying 23.4 years. Yeah, there list. you go. So, so they're doing something right here, and obviously uh, at the other end of the scale, the U.S. is doing something wrong. Glad to see Canada is industriously working till at least they're working to 65 and they're still have a great life expectancy. So still at least very, very good. But one of the things is about deciding whether you should retire. Are you mentally prepared for it? Okay. And this is extremely important. And we go through all the factors you're going to be spending, you know, a fair bit of time, for example, with your spouse, you should be talking with him or her. Okay. What are we going to do? Um, and maybe even take a mini retirement if you can take four weeks off or what have you and see what it's like without having, you know, a job to fill your days. I know it's almost too short because it's almost like a big vacation, but in, in retirement is, is a really long vacation. But again, it, it's, it's really finding out, are you built to retire mentally? And you got a lot of people. And again, our good friend, Ron Foxtroft, He's uh, he's going strong at, uh, I think it's 76 or seven years old now. Retirement is not, not even on his hit list at, at all. So again, it's not even on his radar. And, it, and it's all about mentally prepared. Uh, number three here, have you made a realistic 
spending estimate. I know we talked about this. I, I can't say it enough, though. You really need to look at your retirement um, expenses and go through them, both you and your spouse. It's a kind of interesting how one spouse says, oh, no, we only spend this much. And say, what, what are you smoking? Okay. I've got, I've been looking at the list. And we're spending this much. So it's, it's great to have both of you. Um, number four is, is your portfolio ready for withdrawals? So it was one thing as you're 25 and you have almost 100% equities. Well, that's great, but that's not a portfolio that you should be taking money from. It's a great portfolio adding money to because you're dollar averaging. But when you're pulling money out, you're dollar averaging in reverse. So you're actually pulling pulling out money, even though the money's the market's down, you shouldn't be adding taking money out. You should be adding money in. So is it a good portfolio for withdrawals? And this is extremely important. And again, finally, what's your risk tolerance? And you take a look at your overall risk in terms of your investments and say, okay, is this a good asset allocation for retirement? And again, talking to a certified financial planner like Mitch or myself can go through that and, and really analyze, okay, are you ready to retire? We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to talk about TFSA strategies uh, in this segment. Uh, yeah, yeah. Great account. Uh, TFSA is a great account to use at any age. And there's so many different ways to benefit from it. Uh, there's also many ways that you can really hurt yourself by using one. And the first thing that I want to mention is a way to something to avoid. Uh, and it's making a withdrawal and replacing the same year in the calendar year. So you can make a withdrawal from your TFSA at any time. There's no tax consequences. However, a withdrawal does reduce your contributions made during a year. The amount withdrawn will only be able to be added back for your TFSA contribution limit, limit the following year. So this rule, this rule applies if you have the TFSA fully maximized, but it's also a good one to consider at all times. If you have a maximized TFSA at 88,000 in contributions and you take out 10,000 for a large expense, you will not be able to contribute that 10,000 back until the following year. At that time, you'll be able to also contribute the new 6,500, assuming that they're gonna keep it similar uh, that they have in the past for the last few years, uh, making it a total of 16,500. So the TFSA, it's a, it's a great long-term investment vehicle and it shouldn't be used for regular banking or high volume transactions. The, the last thing you would want to do is over-contribute and pay a 1% per month penalty on the over-contributed portion. So, Making sure you keep track of your contributions to avoid costly penalties, it's very important. That 1% monthly penalty, as I mentioned, it's a large penalty and it, it can accumulate really quickly. So a good way to avoid over-contributing is to actually consolidate your TFSAs. So I know a lot of people have 
uh, multiple ones. It's really easy to set up multiple TFSAs, the, especially uh, if you have multiple bank accounts. So if you've got a bank account, RBC, Scotia, TD, um, you name it, they're, they're all going to want you to open a TFSA and they don't know if you have one elsewhere. And frankly, I don't, they don't really care because they're just <laughs> going to keep wanting you to open another one anyways. Uh, <laughs> and, and really there is an, an enhancement or enticement for them to often open them. They might have a little contest at the bank or, or, and at the end of the day, it's, it's expensive. You over contribute. It's 1% a month. Yeah. And it's pretty funny and i mean the tfsa has been around for a long time now but you still get quite a few people thinking that they can have multiple tfsas which uh just uh, multiplies their contribution room uh hmm. so people they'll think oh i can have eighty-eight thousand at ig 88 at rbc uh td you name it and that the banks it they don't, they're not really able to keep track of what you have at other institutions. I know we're not unless a client tells us. So it, it's really on the client to keep track or and to inform whoever you're working with to make sure that you're not over contributing, especially if you, if you are old enough to have the max amount and you have the funds to do it and you have a maximum account at all these different institutions, that 1% penalty will be massive. It's mm -hmm. a monthly penalty. It's going to be huge. And so that's one way to really make sure you're not messing up using your TFSA. It's such a useful tool. Um, just have it at one institution, keep it simple. And that's the best way to go about that way. But so you also need to recognize how market gains and losses are going to impact your future contribution limit. So holding a volatile investment in a TFSA can be risky for a couple of reasons. And first is uh, if a capital loss is realized, uh, that it can't be reduced to uh, reduce your capital gains if you have any, unlike when a capital loss is occurred in your non-registered account. Uh, secondly, uh, only the amount withdrawn can be added back. So if you, let's say you put 6,500 into a TFSA this year and it decreases, let's say it went down to $4,000 and you take it out, you can only recontribute the $4,000 uh, from that amount until you grow that back basically. Uh, the opposite is true. So if you do grow that 6,500, it goes to 7,500. Well, and you take it all out. Well, now your new room is actually, it just increased by a thousand. So you can get that room back, but a lot of people see this and they say, okay, well, I'm not going to pay tax. Why don't I really roll the dice and put a risky investment in there? And it's, it would be really getting rid of one of the best accounts going. If you do take a fly on a penny stock and it goes to zero and you lose that TFSA room for the rest of your life. So it, not using it for risky investments is definitely something that we suggest. And this is actually one that was really interesting because uh, I know quite a few people that do this um, and I've been informing them not to at this point. Uh, don't use your TFSA for day trading. Uh, oh. Like like in RSP, it's a, R, RSPs, it's actually acceptable. It's the only account you're actually allowed to day trade in uh, but a tfsa you're not allowed to day trade in this account and the cra will flag you and you will get taxed as if it's business income so this was a tax case decided earlier this year and it involved a taxpayer who grew his tfsa to more than six hundred and seventeen thousand dollars from a fifteen thousand in three years by actively day trading penny stocks uh, the consequences of doing so, it's its clearly spelled out in the Income Tax Act, which states that the TFSA is generally exempt from tax on its income, except for two exceptions. And one of those is that you can't carry it on as a business. And the CRA considers day trading a business. 
So that person's actually getting get taxed as it was a business income and it's going to be fully taxable. So it, it's, so it's interesting though, Mitch, um, how they'll tax you if you're a good day trader. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what if you're not very good at day trading and you, and you take your 88,000 down to zero, do they give you a deduction? Yeah. No kidding. Like, <laughs> like you should be able to designate it or something, but it should be able to go both ways. I completely agree with you. This person, like that's a one in a million story. Like you, you hear someone go 15 to 617,000. That, that, uh, I don't necessarily agree with this, but they are the rules. <laughs> uh, just don't use it for day trading. Uh, use something else <laughs> we are planning your financial future i'm scott thompson don fox and mitch fox are here from fox group private wealth management you can find out more at donfox.net you can call them at ig private wealth management at 905-972-7420 a quick break here and we're coming right back you are listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. We're going to talk about uh, buying a family cottage to end this off. Yes, it's that time. We know what... Uh... It's nice outside. People are thinking about cottages again. And particularly, if you're born between 1965 and 1980, you are a member of the Gen X Club. And they are a big driver right now in the cottage area. In fact, uh, um, it's, it says here that Gen X lead in the recreational property purchases right now. So you can see that they're at that age now. But it, um, Canadians in general, 11% own a cottage or a cabin. Or, and they're and 36% of Canadians are attracted to the quality of life that a cottage can afford. So who wouldn't want to be hanging around a cottage, right? It's, it's a great thing to do. But again, how do you buy it? Whose name do you put it in? It all sounds, again, great. You drive up there to Muskoka or Halliburton or wherever, and you think, okay, this is my spot to put my feet up and enjoy. But should I put it in? My name? Should I put in my spouse's name? Maybe a child's name or even a trust or corporation's name. So first of all, a cottage can qualify for the principal resident rules, which allows you to sell a property and either pay no tax or depending on which years you designate it as a principal resident, maybe partial tax on it. So it's one thing to consider. Now, if you're a business owner, we'll also look at this. This is, well, I'm in a business and, you know, I don't want anybody to sue me, obviously. And I want to put this in my spouse's name. And that makes a, a lot of sense so that those assets aren't up for grabs if you have creditors. So it's a way to creditor-proof the cottage. And um, now you can also have it in a trust or corporation's name, but it doesn't qualify for the um, um, principal resident rules. But it also means when you use it, you actually are renting it back to yourself. You can get a taxable benefit. It's very tricky. Most do not advise having it in that name. Okay. And and finally, uh, buying it a cottage in, in a child's name is almost always a bad idea. I guess it depends on how old the child is. Okay. But first of all, 
you may end up losing half of that cottage or your or your son or daughter may if there's a marriage breakup. Okay. And then also, what about if you still want to use it a fair bit? You you've lost ownership to this. So there's a lot of different things about cottage ownership you have to look at. Normally it's best if it's between you and your spouse. Again, the caveat here is if you're a business owner and there's some risk of of, a, of creditors. Now renting the property, this does help you. A lot of people actually do rent them to help cover some of the costs. Um, cottage ownership is not inexpensive. There's a lot of toys you have to have, you know, if you have a cottage, right? You know, you have to have a boat or a sea do or the dock gets worn out or, you know, there, there's things that you need. And that's all point of cottage life. And, and but it's having another house, all maintenance. It's a lot of work. And so having renting it out can help pay for some of that. Now, you do want to watch that, though. Because if you get over the 50% level, you will, you end up in the other areas and you may lose some of your um, um, principal resident rules on this. So lots of uh, issues in terms of cottage ownership. I personally think, again, it's best if you just keep it to the, uh, you know, you and your spouse. Now, often people down the road want to say, I want to, I want to, you know, put it my kids' names later. And this is an interesting factor here. They may say, you know what, I'm going to sell it to my daughter or my son or both of them. And I'm going to sell it at a less expensive rate. Well, let's say the cottage were $700,000. i am going to sell it to them for $300,000. Well, it's deemed that it was sold at seven, even though they only paid you $300,000. So you have to pay tax on the $400,000 capital gain, even though you didn't receive the money. Even worse, when, you're, when your kids go to sell it, their cost level is 300000 So if they sell it for 700000 again, they're paying the same tax on the same money again. So having a proper financial plan in regards to cottage ownership is extremely important. And it's it, again, it comes down to cash flow, looking at the overall picture. Is it the right thing for you? I guess we've just gone through a pandemic where cottages were all the thing, getting out camping, uh, recreational vehicles, RVs, and cottages were in the top one, two, three of what people wanted to do. Now it's sitting back and you're saying, okay, is this really what I want to do going forward? So sit down with your financial planner and say, okay, if I do want a cottage, what's the best way to own this? We are planning, have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Another fabulous show, and we'll see you next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.